good to be back with you this week after a couple weeks of vacation for uh, me and my family. We're thankful for that as we gather together here on the last uh, week in the book of Acts. As we wrap up our study in uh, the book of Acts and what it means to be a, a growing church in a groaning world, we're looking at the last two verses, Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Uh, up to this point, especially in that last you know, third or so of the book of Acts, there's been all this excitement, multiple riots, dramatic confrontations, uh, surprising rescues, courtroom arguments, you know, back alley uh, conspiracies, and more rescues, sea voyages, shipwrecks, snake bites. Um, more rescues. And then here, that's all just in the last part of this book. It's all very exciting. You could kind of even picture some, some Hollywood movies uh, paling in comparison, especially the one we watched last night. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you later. Um, anyway, you know, but now here, it's the very end of the book. We're, we've, we've arrived at Rome. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. He's under house arrest. He's awaiting his chance to state his case before the emperor of the Roman Empire. And then, then there's these last words that as we look at them are, are surprisingly vague and yet utterly positive. What is up with that? Well, well, let's look here at God's Word and see why and, and what it means for us and for God's church as we seek to grow in maturity, as we seek to grow numerically, as we seek to serve a groaning world, and as we live in a groaning world. Let's see what the Lord has to say for us here in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. And he, Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. This is God's Word. Lord, would You meet us here? Would You open our eyes, our ears, our hearts? Would You make Your Word more than ink on paper, more than pixels on a screen, more than sound waves hitting our eardrums? Make it powerful and effective that You might set us free, that we might be unhindered in serving you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So every time I read this passage, I just kind of picture the credits rolling, you know, as, as the dramatic story all comes to a close, and, and you're just like, wait, what? What, what happens? What, does he, what happens in the trial? Is he set free? Is he killed? Church history would say that Paul is eventually beheaded, but most likely not at this time. But the story doesn't tell us here in the book of Acts. It just leaves us hanging. 
And so you say, why? What, what's, what's going on there? Why would you end the story this way? Well, it's because it's not, it's not about a Hollywood drama. It's not about resolving things into a nice, tidy little package about what happened to Paul. And in fact, the point of the book of Acts is not to lift up Paul or to lift up Peter or any of the sporting characters like Lydia or Tabitha or Barnabas or Stephen or Philip or Ananias or the other Ananias or anyone else. But the point of the story, the point of this message here in the book of Acts, that what, what Luke and the Holy Spirit who inspired him would have us walk away with is something much more profound. That we would focus on the Gospel. On the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it is the Gospel alone that grows the church. Internally, grows us in maturity. And also externally, if there are to be increases in numbers, it has to come from the Gospel. But as well, it is only the Gospel that provides answers in a groaning world to what would ease and comfort and provide hope for those who are hurting, even among us in the church. The primary focus of the book of Acts is the Gospel. The good news of Jesus. And that needs to be our primary focus. Individually and as a church, as we go about our lives, as we try to minister, our focus needs to be the good news of Jesus. I, I, I really need that truth, and as silly as this sounds, I, I need that truth this week because I'm going to get my hair cut. And I go to Great Clips, it's because it's fast, and I hate spending time on haircuts. It's just, it just costs a little more money there, but man, they are fast. It's like you get in and out. And I wonder if, in part, the reason I don't go to Great Clips is because there is something about that, that cape, you know, they put on you. Is that what it's called? I don't know. It's like a backwards cape that keeps the hair off of you. There's something about that thing that when, when, it, when it goes on me, I, I, can't, I can't speak. I certainly can't bring up Jesus. And I, have a, I don't even mention what I do for a living. I, I, I evade the question. So how's work going? Oh, it's good. You guys working from home still? Or they, yeah, kind of. Please don't ask any more questions. You know, it's, it sounds, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. As I, I even verbalize this, there is something about that situation. I can stand up here in this pulpit. I can even know that I'm live streaming on TV and this will be around for whoever knows how long and speak of Jesus. And I can counsel people and meet them one-on-one -on -one and talk about their sin and their issues and point them to Jesus. But man, when I get in that chair at Great Clips, I'm hindered in sharing the Gospel. I'm hindered in even speaking of what I do for a living. And as I think about this passage, it really comes down to, to this is what I need. Because if you look at Paul in this passage, right, he, he is in chains. He has significant life and death charges before the court coming and hanging over him. And what's he doing? He is unhindered. The gospel message is unhindered. It is free despite his physical limitations, despite the fact that he's under arrest, most likely literally chained to a soldier. The kingdom and his proclamation 
is unhindered. It is free. It's unrestricted. The last word of the book of Acts, and the, and the New American Standard does a good job of this. Some translations don't. But the very last word is that word unhindered. Akalutos in the Greek. Literally the last word, and it means unrestricted. It means free. This is important because really, brothers and sisters, what we most need, what I need when I'm sitting in that chair at Great Clips, Lord willing, later on this week, I will come and testify to you later on that I opened my mouth and was unhindered. What I need to know, what I need to remember, and whatever is hindering you as you try to speak to someone, as you try to battle perhaps an addiction, as you try to win the victory over that sin, what you need to remember is that the gospel is the power of God that it is what you most need. Paul knows that. He believes that. He is open and free. Luke knows that. And that's why he ends the, the book of Acts this way. Because it's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's not about Tabitha or Lydia. It's not about Ananias or the other Ananias. It's not about... Daniel, the prophet, and his boldness in the lion's den. It's not about King David and his heart for God. It's not about Abraham or Joseph and being like any one of them. It's about this message that if you will grasp it, you can unleash the gospel power in your life, which is what you need most of all. That's what I need. And so as we come to this passage, Wrestle with where you're hindered. With where you feel the Gospel is not doing what God would have you to do, to say. And it fits very well, especially as we think about sharing verbally this good news. But there are other areas where you know, we are hindered. Where we don't have victory over a sin. Where we are struggling or discouraged. And this Gospel message will come there as well. So how do we do that? How, how, how are we set free? How do we become unhindered in our lives? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognize that the problem, the problem that we have is internal. The problem is internal. It is a battle of confidence. It is a battle of confidence. You see it here in Paul's confidence. Uh, just the, the general idea that He's welcoming everyone. The first visitors he had, we saw in the last couple of weeks in, in, in Acts chapter 28, right? They're like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll hear you some more, and they come back, right? And then what ends? They end arguing and complaining. And Paul continues to welcome people despite that sort of bad experience. Paul is confident, welcoming all, continuing to, it says here, what? Preaching the kingdom. Teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness, unhindered. The word there for openness is, is kind of interesting. I'm not sure exactly why they translated it openness here. It appears five times in the book of Acts. And its related verb appears seven times in the book of Acts. So of those 12 times, they're translated confidence or confidently four times, boldness or boldly seven times, and it's only here that is openness. The, the sense of the word is, is, more, is more accurately one of, of boldness, of, of confidence, which is related to openness. 
but it seems to have a different sense to me. That there is some resolve, there is strength, a backbone that it's speaking to. And it's especially about speaking. Uh, the, the word is a compound of, of all and a word for expression, as in words. So all, it's, it's all expression. Not one, one dictionary translates it this way. It's a use of speech that conceals nothing and passes over nothing. It is, it is open. It is bold. That's what Paul is doing. That's the sense here. And it often, almost always, is about an underlying confidence that enables you to open your mouth. It's almost always linked with a word for speaking. And the verb doesn't even need a word for speaking. It just means boldly speaking. And if you think about it, other than you know, some form of birth defect, some sort of physical injury or, or brokenness in your mouth or your tongue, you know, there really is nothing that hinders you from speaking. Right? It, it, someone could maybe gag you, but in the situations where we feel hindered, it's, there's, there's really not anything making us not speak. Certainly not for Paul, right? It's not chains or imprisonment. That can't stop him speaking. Not the threats. Nothing. You know, I think maybe even that hair cutter's cape isn't actually, it's not kryptonite or whatever the gospel negative thing is. You know, there's really no hindrance there. It is all this internal lack of confidence. And I, and I would encourage you to explore that where you're hindered. What, what, what is, what is hindering, what is undermining your confidence? What are you trusting in that would take away from your confidence and trust in the good news of Jesus? You know, for me, I think about it in that haircutter's chair. I think part of my problem is that I know if I say I'm a pastor, the person cutting my hair is going to have all of this baggage. You're going to read into that all kinds of stuff. And, and I don't know where they're coming from, but they're going to have preconceptions, and very often it's going to just kill any conversation. So I'm kind of trusting in I don't know what, right? I'm certainly not trusting that, oh, the gospel might actually still work in that situation, which it would. But my confidence is more in my ability to handle the truth and manage this other person. You know, that's a common struggle for every one of us. Right? Why, why do we not speak? Is it not because we're, we're not sure what the other person's going to do? There's this risk and this uncertainty. I'm not quite sure they'll listen. I'm not sure they'll understand me. I'm not sure I have the right words. I don't know where the conversation will go. Why do we not boldly resist our friends when they would lead us into temptation and down a place we don't want to go? Which is, well, I don't know if they'd still be my friends, and I don't know if I could make it without them. You know, why, why will I not stand up for what I believe is right? Well, it's going to bring suffering. I'm not sure I can, you know, what, you could go on, right? What? What it is is a matter of confidence. Are you confident in the Gospel? Are you confident in its truth? And maybe it's not in speaking. It could be any other temptation, anger, addiction, you know, lust. Does the Gospel really work there? 
Well, the answer is yes, and we know that, but there's something missing in our hearts. And one of the things that happens to us is we begin to think, well, I, I'm like the only person, just for some reason. You know, maybe you can, or you can, or you can, but you know, just for me, it just doesn't quite. I don't think it will work. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. Because it's a battle of confidence that we all must fight. There is not one person, and I, I know this from experience, speaking with people that we all would say are models of evangelism and, and, and outreach, the boldest speakers I know, every one of them has shared with me that it's a struggle. We don't see that, right? We see the outward confidence, right? There is an internal battle. Everyone faces it. We all have to fight that battle. You know, the, the early church in Acts chapter 4, the end of Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they are freshly filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They are, they are moments, days, with weeks from Pentecost and, and tongues of fire on their heads, right? And the Holy Spirit's rushing through. The early church started to face persecution and, and threats. And in Acts 4, verse 29, they say, Oh Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. They needed to pray for confidence. So do you and I. Paul, around this time as he's imprisoned in Rome, wrote several letters that we now have in our Bibles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. We're pretty sure all, all of those were written in this time frame. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says to the church in Ephesus, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was very aware of his own weakness. And that it was a common fight for every one of us. The battle for confidence is a human thing that we all need to fight. He said similar things to the church in Colossae and church in Philippi. But he asks for prayer because he knows this battle, the problem, is one of confidence. The, the problem is a battle we all have to fight, right? And the solution is, Paul knows, that we need help. We need power. And that power, this is our second point, the power is above. Power is above. The problem is internal and the power is above. And it comes down, is accessible to us by the Spirit. We see that in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They pray, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant your bondservants may speak with all confidence. And then what happens in Acts 4, verse 31? The Lord answers their prayer. We read, when they had prayed... The place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak 
the word of God with boldness. What you most need in the internal battle to solve the problem is confidence. And the only place you will get it is from God by the Spirit. In other words, speaking boldly about Jesus is not natural. You might think, oh, they're just naturally gifted speaker. They're just, their personality is such that they are bold and zealous. There is no one who is naturally bold in speaking of Jesus. It is a supernatural phenomenon. Every one of us would close our mouths and hide in fear. And every one of us who do not know Jesus will one day. And we have this sense within us. But as the Spirit of God comes upon us, He brings a boldness from the Spirit. Which is to say, <laughs> it's from Jesus. Just a little bit before that, in Acts chapter 4, uh, the church was responding to, at the end of Acts chapter 4, responding to what? Peter and John being brought before the council and, and beaten and threatened and all those things, right? What happened in that circumstance, Acts chapter 4.13, is the council says, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, as they observed the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John, and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the problem is an internal thing, and the power to overcome it is above and comes to us by the Spirit. By uniting us through the Spirit to Jesus. And Jesus' desire, and the Spirit's desire, is to make much of Jesus. To point people to Jesus. So unless we have Jesus within us, by the Spirit, we're not going to be bold. And if we want to be bold, we need more of Jesus in us. We need more of Him. In a sense, it's, we don't need to try harder. We don't need to dare to be a Daniel. We need more of Jesus. Because if the, if, if the Spirit of Jesus is in us, it will lead us to speak. He will lead us to speak. That power will be within us. The question, first of all, is do you know this Jesus? Do you have the Spirit of God within you? You can't verify that by uh, some outward signs of, of miraculous things. God just doesn't always work that way. But you can verify it by looking at your life. Better yet, walking with someone and being in a community that says, we want to follow Jesus. We need His Spirit and we're praying. We need His Spirit and we're looking at each other and helping one another. And sometimes, you know what, you're going to think, I don't even think the Lord can use me at all. And people will say, I see God using you all the time. Oh, no, He's not. Well, what about this? Well, that's just that. Well, what about this? Well, that's just that. You need that outward encouragement. That's one of the beautiful things about joining a church 
that I would encourage you, if you have yet to join, that, that you would come before a couple of the elders and we'll just ask you some questions about Jesus working in your life. And it's so encouraging for us. And I hope, and my, my, my experience has been that it's confident for you as well. Where you say, you know what, I'm not imagining this. Jesus really is at work. And why? Well, he's at work in them. And he's at work in them. Wow. You know what that does? That builds our confidence. That grows us in boldness to say, you know, I really am not alone. Not only do I have these brothers and sisters, I've got himself at work in me. It's a beautiful thing. As Paul is here demonstrating that, living that out here, with his confidence in Jesus, with his obedience to Jesus, with repentance for how he has walked away from God and turning back to God in humble reliance upon the Spirit. To say, you know what? What I really need is Jesus. I need His forgiveness. I need His obedience. I need His Spirit at work in me. Or I have no hope. That my only hope is in Jesus. So the thing is, Right, This power is above and comes to us by the Spirit and it comes from the King. This might be, next to having the Spirit, the most profound thing to build your confidence is to recognize that that power available to you by the Spirit is from the King. The King. Capital K. Capital I, capital N, capital G, King. The King. The one who is in heaven. And this one whom Paul preaches the kingdom of God and teaches, verse 31, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that, that's Paul. He is preaching at the emperor, at the king, the Roman king's doorstep. He is preaching another king, Jesus. He is proclaiming another lord, another master, Jesus. The only way he can do that is if he believes that Jesus really is and that Jesus is more powerful than any Roman leader, even the emperor himself. He can be unhindered. He can be free in that situation because he knows this king. And not, not only that, not only can he then say, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to die because I believe this king is king and not you overall, which doesn't mean you disrespect earthly leaders and all. That's a sermon for another day. But it puts it in proportion. It puts it in perspective for us to say Jesus is Lord. To preach the kingdom of God is to say that there is beyond any earthly power a power above all others. That's what we proclaim. That's essentially what we're saying, right? Stop obeying yourself and your desires and your whims and your own understanding of what is right and seek the Lord and the true King of all who has not only made you and bought you, but would set you free. In a couple of weeks, Lord willing, we're going to start a series on the law of God, on the Ten Commandments, uh, love and passion and fire, the law of God. And I know some are going to be like, oh, it's just, you know, rules. It's, it's so much more. It is really about freedom. It's really about a life of joy and hope and confidence despite being a broken and hurting people. 
Despite being sinners, we are saved by God's grace. And to, to confess the lordship of Jesus is the beginning of, of a new path of good living. And I don't mean that by just like goody two-shoes. I mean that in a sense of good, deep, meaningful life. You know, Paul grasped that. That's what he proclaimed. In fact, at the same time, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, in chapter 1, verse 12, as we know it today, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, which circumstances? Being chained and awaiting his trial in Rome, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Just, just this idea that, that rather than coveting the success and the accomplishments of other Christians, we would be inspired and empowered and encouraged, lifted up by their lives. You know, I, I look at, you know, uh, uh, Wally and Shibu and Danton and so, so many others who just hit the streets and appear on the outwardly to be boldly preaching and proclaiming the gospel, which they do. And I begin to think, well, you know, that, I could never do that. And I go out there and I, and I, I, I do an eh job. And it's a temptation to be discouraged by their gifts instead of encouraged. That God would have us to say, you know what, it's really not about them. This power is not theirs alone. It comes from God who pours it out by His Spirit and gives gifts to His people. And you know what? He's going to pour out gifts of evangelism to some and He's going to pour out gifts of teaching to others and He's going to pour out gifts of compassion and helps to others and gifts of mercy and encouragement to others. And you know, as we look at those, we can say, praise God that you're a part of the body of Christ and say, you know what? God's at work. I think God could work in me and to seek where God would have me to serve. What would he have me to do? Where would he have me to focus and spend my time? Because all of those things are working together as part of God's plan. Paul has this vision of a God who is powerful and above all, right? And it, it meets him in the moment of his need for confidence. In the midst of his problem and struggle to speak boldly, God is there. And he recognizes, you know what? Even this circumstance of being chained works together as all things do for my good and for the good of those whom God loves. That's what it means for this one to be king. To say that Jesus is, is Lord. To proclaim His kingdom. To recognize those circumstances are all in His control. And Paul would go on to say in Philippians chapter 1, there's even more to his struggles, 
we don't have time to dig into it, but in Philippians 1.18, he continues, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see what he's confessing there? That I believe God is at work. And I believe that He will even work for His glory and for the good of other people in my body, whether I live or I die. That's some power. That's the answer to our problem. And it leads us finally to the promise. And the promise is grace. This promise is that Jesus is, is for you and for us. That this same Jesus is right now even at work for you. Right now available to you. Right now working for you and for us. The book of Acts started off with a, a, a question from the disciples to Jesus, very much limited in time and space. Their, their vision was very small. And they said, Jesus, it, you know, He's just risen from the dead. He's appeared to them for some 40 days. It's just before Pentecost in those seven weeks after Passover. And Jesus appears to them and He's teaching them and speaking to them. Acts 1.3 says, concerning the kingdom of God. And they say to Him, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, it is not for You to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon You. And You shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That that's, that's where the end of Acts has brought us even to the end of the earth. All the way to Rome and pointing beyond. And not just in that time and in that geography and that place, but even to us today. That the promise is one of grace. That no matter what you have done, no matter how you have failed in appropriating the Gospel, no matter your sins or your brokennesses, after all, this is Paul, the man who persecuted the church of God and was forcing God's people as much as he could try to, to blaspheme and accepting and agreeing with them being put to death. This is Paul who is now saying freely and unhindered, proclaiming the Gospel. You can have that same freedom today. All it requires is the empty hand of a beggar to say, Lord Jesus, I need You to fill me up. It needs you to repent and say, Lord, I, I have failed. 
And I know that your sacrifice is sufficient for that. That the King Himself has come and paid my penalty. The judge has taken off His robes and become the defendant and paid the full price. That the King Himself has said, I welcome you not just as a citizen, not just as a subject, but as a very son. As a daughter. You are acceptable in my sight. You are my heir and part of my family. Not only that, but that He has imbued you with power and come to dwell within you that you might have that power. That this God is for you. This grace for you. We're going to come and we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes. And that is what it is all about. It's about professing our dependence. That we know our problem is one of confidence. And Jesus says, look, I know you're going to struggle. Here, remember my sacrifice. I know you're going to struggle. Remember, I'm coming again. I know you're going to struggle. Remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That what you need right now is to look back to the cross to have confidence in the future and right now to say, it's still Jesus. You know, the Lord's Supper is, is like the Word of God. It is a visible Word of God. It's, it's more than visible. It's, it's sensory. Touch it. Taste it. Feel it. And yet it is the message. Right? It is this Gospel message. This central reality that Jesus wants us not merely just to hear, not merely just to believe, but to experience in our hearts, to, to depend upon as food, to live on it. Brothers and sisters, that's... Could you imagine if, if that's how we lived? Could you imagine? Well, if I walk into the great clips with that confidence... Could you imagine if we all went to work on Tuesday or school or into the neighborhood or even just went home today with that confidence, with the central reality of the Gospel, with our primary focus on this good news of Jesus Christ, that He is with us. By the Spirit of God, the power of God is available to us. That as we confess Him as Lord, as we repent and seek to follow Him, He will bless and use and provide. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would You make us more and more a people who are not ashamed of the Gospel, but believe in it as the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That we would believe in this Gospel <clears throat> that offers us a righteousness of God. Being right with God. Not because of anything we have done. But because of our faith in what You have done, Jesus. Would You set us free from whatever hinders us. Our confidence in the flesh. Our confidence in management of situations. Our, our confidence and our preservation of our reputation. Our trust in money or finances. Whatever it is, Lord, would You set us free that we would live unhindered, unrestricted. That we, oh Lord, would be free. Would You grow us? That we might serve 
a groaning world, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.